0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is Kentucky History and Haunts. I'm Jesse Bartholomew. And this is a story that was recommended by a listener. So I got a Facebook message from Crystal in Radcliffe. And she said, hey, you probably haven't heard about this missing persons case. This guy vanished in 2005. I went to school with him. He was a great guy. And... You know, we felt like he never really got the media attention that he probably should have. So, I started looking into it, and it, it seems like, without revealing too much, something happened in this case. There was a plot twist. And because of that, it seems like investigators really changed their perspective on what happened. And so did the public. Um, He maybe didn't have the urgency that he had before this extra information came out. So we'll talk about all of that. And we'll talk about why he probably didn't get as much media coverage to begin with. So without further ado, this is the story of Kenny Manuel Naidas Jr. On May 18, 2005, Kenny Emanuel Naidas Jr. vanished. He was 24 at the time, living in Radcliffe, Kentucky, in the home he shared with his fiancée, Wendy Rodriguez. Wendy asked to remain anonymous for the first couple days Kenny was missing, but pretty soon after, her name does appear in news coverage. So Wendy and Kenny were engaged, in fact, He disappeared just days before they were supposed to get married. And they were going to get married on Kenny's birthday. The day he went missing, Wednesday the 18th, Wendy last spoke with her fiancé around 1.30 p.m. Earlier that day, she had sent him out to get diapers and baby formula. And when they last spoke, she said Kenny told her he was on his way home. So she knew that he was finished running errands, He intended to come home, or at least he said he did, but he never showed up. It sounds like he was scheduled to work later that day at UPS, but there was no sign of him there either. He had been on a probationary period as a computer technician, and that period was almost up so he was about to be hired on as a regular employee. And his employer said it was definitely unusual for him to be a no-call, no-show. Radcliffe Police Department spokesperson Elaine Leach said, quote, From what we understand, he's a good employee with a good work ethic who's faithful and reliable. By the way, he had been working in Louisville, so he was commuting pretty far, like over 45 minutes. Now, the following day, they found his vehicle. Okay, so on Thursday, his maroon four-door 2004 Chevy Tahoe was locked and parked in a parking lot shared by a Dollar General and Corbano's Italiano restaurant on South Dixie Boulevard in Radcliffe. Looking at a map, I'm guessing this wouldn't have been further than like 10 or 15 minutes from their home. But Kenny wasn't in the car and there were no signs of a struggle. Nothing was amiss. Basically, it just looked like someone neatly parked the car, got out, and never came back. So at this point, The police are in kind of a strange spot because they're looking at this situation from the outside and probably thinking, well, maybe this guy just got cold feet and ran off before his wedding. There's no sign he was taken against his will. So they have this missing persons case, but it just doesn't have as many red flags right off the bat. But here's who the police are looking for. Kenny Manuel Naidas Jr. was 24 years old, or maybe about to turn 24. He may have been 23. He was between 5'7 and 5'9, about 180 pounds, and biracial. He's listed as Pacific Islander and white. Okay, so his family was uh, Guamanian, or from Guam. He had black hair and brown eyes, a tattoo of the seal of Guam on his left shoulder blade, He also had a tattoo with um, Chamorro style between his shoulder blades two inches below the neck. His ears were pierced, and he sometimes went by the nickname Junior. Kenny was last seen wearing a red t-shirt, blue jeans, red and white Jordans, diamond stud earrings, a First Communion crucifix necklace with an image of praying hands, and he was carrying a brown bifold wallet. Kenny had also spoken with his dad that day. And his dad, Ken, said that Kenny didn't say anything about going to Dollar General or that Italian restaurant. So why would his car be in that parking lot? They also had another car, a Honda. And his dad said that Kenny usually drove the Honda when he was just going out by himself. And it was a little unusual for him to choose the Tahoe when he wasn't having to cart all the kids around anywhere. Now people close to Kenny who were interviewed said no, there's no way he would have left willingly. He's a great dad, he would never leave his kids, and he's about to get married. There was so much to look forward to. I found a website that has several of the articles about this disappearance in chronological order, which is amazing. So I'll just kind of go through and give you the new information as it comes out. Uh, Because like I said, this case does have a bit of a twist. So Kenny went missing in May. An article comes out in June that says just three days after Kenny went missing, his son took his first steps. He started walking and Kenny missed it. And at this point, his family is still completely sure that he would not have missed this by choice. And Wendy is just pleading for people to come forward with information. She just wants Kenny home before his son's first birthday. The other thing they say in that article is that the vehicle, the Tahoe, has been sent to Frankfurt to be tested for blood and prints. Four months into this disappearance, there's another article. This one reports that Ken, the the father, is frustrated because there's, quote, been some confusion with his friends, not knowing where he's at or whatever happened. I think that's an interesting statement, some confusion with his friends. So hold on to that. But he's right. I mean, in such a small town... How's it possible that no one saw anything? No one has a clue where this man went. It's hard to believe. Somebody knows something. Wendy moved out of state after Kenny went missing. I don't know exactly how far after. I don't have that timeline. But I do know that by the time their daughter, Naomi, is four years old, she and Wendy are living out of state. They're no longer in Kentucky. But Kenny's parents, Ken and Doris, They're still in Kentucky. Now, this same article talks about how the police decide to research the Tahoe. They tell the parents they're going to search the vehicle more thoroughly. Uh, The family at this point, they're printing flyers, they're trying to raise money for a billboard, but the police don't appear to be making any headway. They say they've now got other agencies involved, but they don't say more than that. Even back then, all those years ago when this story was still fresh, Kenny's parents said they were disappointed by the lack of media coverage. The media had just totally lost interest. They think, or they thought, that it was because the public prefers stories of missing women, and let me just add, particularly missing white women, and because they aren't A particularly affluent family. They don't have a lot of money and these stories do better in the news when the missing person comes from a wealthy family. Okay so he's a man, he doesn't have a lot of money, he's also a person of color. Mom and dad aren't wrong about any of this by the way. This is all valid. Now they say that um, some of Kenny's friends have been very supportive and helpful looking for him and spreading the word. Uh, A few of them even offered to pay for a psychic to look into the case. And they would also just drop by and visit with the parents just to let them know they were thinking of Kenny. So he had some good friends. There was a $1,000 reward offered for information leading to Kenny's whereabouts, but they still didn't get any solid leads. Now fast forward to May 17th, 2007 almost exactly two years after Kenny goes missing. Police were apparently sitting on this information, and they finally decided to release it to the public. And this is information that painted Kenny in a different light because of who he was friends with. Enter Victor J. Brown. This Victor Brown guy was charged with trafficking 57 pounds of marijuana and several grams of cocaine in Murray, Kentucky. And he was arrested and charged just three days after Kenny went missing. And then police caught up with another man who was involved, who'd been working with Brown, and that was Jeffrey Puckett. Well, Jeffrey Puckett had been described by Kenny's father as one of Kenny's closest friends. So, Detective Lieutenant Ralph Craig from Radcliffe is looking at all this going, yeah, something's definitely fishy here. Quote, after interviewing Puckett, Craig believes Naidas also was involved in the drug deal and suspects his disappearance is related. Now, this thing with Victor Brown... What happened was he almost disappeared, too, in May of 2005. He said that a group of guys tried to kidnap him, and this was while he was trafficking drugs in Murray. And someone from the Murray Police Department said, yeah, Brown alerting us to his own attempted kidnapping is what led to his own drug bust. So I think the situation was... Victor Brown realized either he gets kidnapped and probably gets killed or he goes to jail and he chose, you know, the less bad option. So police start investigating all this and they end up uncovering $100,000 worth of drugs that Brown and Puckett were selling in Murray. Now for the record, there's a bit of a haul from Radcliffe to Murray. It's like three hours. But Police from the two departments, Murray and Radcliffe, are comparing notes and going, yeah, this this looks like it would be related to the Naitis case. He's probably missing because of his some type of involvement in or knowledge of this drug trafficking. Now, no arrests were ever made in the attempted abduction of Victor Brown. So we don't know who was after him. We don't know who was responsible for that. He described his assailants as just a group of Hispanic men, and that's all we know. Brown and Puckett both went to prison, served time, and were released. All the while, no sign of Kenny. But Detective Craig from Radcliffe is thinking this guy went into hiding so he doesn't get arrested. But his father, Ken, is thinking Kenny just doesn't want to get hurt by, you know, some bad people just for maybe even having knowledge of this drug trafficking. Ken said he truly believed his son was in hiding and not dead. And Detective Craig said that he hoped that now that the other two were out of prison, maybe they'd they'd be more willing to talk about what happened or maybe get some other people to open up. But it's just got to be so frustrating for the family at this point because now you're pretty sure there are people around his friends, even who do know what's going on, and no one will talk. Meanwhile, the police have put in the work. I mean, they've they've searched the car twice. They've tested the the, the truck twice. They did bring in search dogs. Later, they brought in cadaver dogs. They spanned large areas to search they followed up on tons of tips, and they've just got nothing. By 2009, Wendy, who had already been living out of state for years now, was married to someone else and pregnant with twins. So she had completely moved on by this point. And I'm not being judgmental. I absolutely believe she had the right to move on, especially if he left willingly. But regardless... The only thing I found a little strange was that she moved to a different state pretty soon after he went missing. Typically, when someone's loved one goes missing, they tend to stay in the same area for a long, long time, just on the off chance that person comes back. But I do understand you have to live life. I mean, life goes on. It's just there was no indication that Kenny Naitis was dead. I mean, most obvious, there was no body. But also, it's interesting how many sightings there have been of Kenny over the years. People have reported seeing him both in Kentucky and in other states. But the bad news is, this is the end of the story from my point of view. Cause there's nothing after this, I found Zero articles about updates. He doesn't have a Facebook group like other missing persons. He isn't on Radcliffe PD's website or most Kentucky cold case websites. Uh, He does have a page on the Charlie Project, but there's just no mention of him anywhere else. On the off chance you know something about this case, call the Radcliffe Police Department. 270 351 4470. And share this episode. Let's cast a wide net with this story. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already, and be sure to rate, review, and tell your friends. Until next time, take care.